So would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter 4. And we're in verses 12 through 20. I want to bring a message and I just simply call it until Christ is formed in you. The great appeal, we've come now to this part that takes a little bit of a different turn from, from Paul's language than what we have seen in the previous chapters and verses. His appeal, of course, is to the Galatians because they have been bewitched and have been presented another gospel. There's only one gospel. Only one. And that gospel is simply this. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. You cannot prepare yourself. You cannot do things in any way to be saved. You cannot do anything to keep yourself saved. It is all of Christ. And how that occurs in life, in our life, in our salvation, of course, is part of the great teaching uh, of the New Testament. Paul has appealed to the Galatians scripturally, theologically. He has appealed to the Old Testament scriptures, which were used in a twisted fashion to bewitch the Galatians. So Paul says, you're not getting the, you know, a text out of context is pretext. So Paul gives them the entirety of the teaching of the Old Testament about the relevant matters that uh, have been twisted to cause them to think that they, by the Judaizers who came in after Paul, to try to make the Galatians think that uh, they really couldn't be saved until they had first become Jews, until they had first become obedient to the law of Moses and had, uh, and had be become submissive to certain requirements, requirements which have nothing to do with the gospel. We talked about all of that. So Paul appealed to them, first of all, from their own scriptures. Then he appealed to them through logic. We saw that as well. It's just not logical for you to think and believe these things or to be drifting into this direction. But now Paul appeals to them emotionally. These, these converts to Christ were among, among his earliest they were part of the early part of Paul's work and they became very special to him. He became attached to them, these Gentiles. And so now, although he was, he, he, he was pretty much in pure anger, righteous anger in the first part of, of Galatians, that anger, that, that particular emotion has melted into an emotion of, of pity and care and love. And we're going to see that it's, it's akin to the love that a mother has for her infant. 
So now Paul makes the, the appeal to the Galatians emotionally from his heart, not from his scrolls, not from his scriptures, not, not, not from his, his uh, seminary training uh, when he was in Jerusalem, not from philosophy that he had learned in his life, but now he appeals to them strictly from his heart. And we see this here beginning in verse 12. So let's look at the scriptures. I implore you, brothers, first thing that I want to note is that uh, delmai, that Greek, that Greek word is a very strong word. I beg, I plead, I implore you, brothers, become as I am because I also have become as you. You wronged me in nothing. When Paul, now this, 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 the account of Paul's ministry to the Galatians on his missionary journey is found in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So he's, he's reminding them, and we can, we, can, we can go back and look at that and see what Paul is talking about uh, with regard to his experience with the Galatians. Now here's the deal. Paul came to them, they were Gentiles, they were pagans, they didn't really understand anything about the Old Testament God. Uh, at that point, they had no regard or didn't even think about the law of Moses. They knew, uh, obviously they knew that the Jews were a different religion and a different sect from, uh, from whatever they may have followed as a religion. They were just Gentiles. Here's what Paul says. You know, when I came to you, although, and we can sort of infer this from the scriptures, although I had been a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, although I had been a Pharisee, although I had been a Jew of Jews, although I had followed strictly the law of Moses for most of my life and adhered to those things that you seem to be interested in right now. Even though I had grown up in those things, as he wrote in another letter, those things were, were dung to me. They were refuse to me. They were nothing. They were waste to me when I came to Christ. And when I came to you, I came to you as a believer proclaiming the gospel. I did not come as a Jew of Jews, I did not come as one who believed that you had to do the things that I did as a younger person growing up under the law of Moses before you could become a Christian. I had cast those things away. I was set free from all of these obligations of the law of Moses, these Old Testament traditions, the the, the uh, requirement of behavior and, and the, the code of works. I had been set free from that. I was released, relieved, redeemed, and set free. I want you to become like I am. You have become enslaved. They're clapping chains on you, enslaving you back under the law of Moses. And we saw how he described that in previous 
verses and chapters to the Galatians. But you've been set free by the gospel of Christ. Christ does all of these things for you. Christ accomplished everything that was to be accomplished and then took everything that's wrong about you and received it unto himself and took it to the cross and there he died. And that sets us free. I want you to become as I am. I want you to be free in the gospel of Jesus Christ, unrestrained from the legalities of the law of Moses because I also became as you are. I came into you. I sat down at your table. I ate food that I shouldn't have eaten as a Jew, but I did. I enjoyed your company. I wasn't even supposed to come to you as a Jew. I was supposed to just completely ignore you altogether and stay away from you, but I didn't. I came to you just like you are. And I didn't bring the bondage of legalities and Mosaic law. I didn't bring any of that. All of those encumbrances weren't even on me. I had been released from them. And I want you, I, I came to you just as you are. And you know who I am because of our time together. And now I want you to be like me. I want you to be free from all of these things. You wronged me in nothing. Let me say this to go back in Acts 13 and 14. Paul appeals to the Jews. They reject him. And he says, we'll turn to the Gentiles. And there was a great, there was a great conversion of Gentiles. And they came to the Lord and the church was formed. The church in that region was formed. The apostle Paul taught them and he immediately came under the opposition of the Jews. They hated him. As a matter of fact, they stirred up important people against him. And, and finally drove him out such that the end result is, and I think it's in Acts 14, they took him outside and stoned him and they thought they'd killed him. They left him for dead. Now these Galatians would have known that. They would have known how the Jews rejected his gospel, which they had received. They would have seen the suffering of Paul because he preached the gospel of Christ and would not compromise the beautiful truth that we can only be saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. It has nothing to do with all of these rituals and everything else. The only thing the law can do, as Paul told them earlier in Galatians, the only thing the law can do is expose sin. It can't save you. It can only show you that you're a sinner. You've broken the law, the law of God, the commandments. None of us, not, not a single person except for the Lord Christ, who is God and man, virgin born, blessed Christ of God, except for him, none of us ever in the human race are able to keep those 10 commandments, just 10 things, 10 requirements. We can't do it. Christ would say in his Sermon on the Mount that even our thoughts condemn us under the law. Our thoughts break the law of Moses. But we know that in all of our lives, 
we've, there have been times we dishonored our parents, for example. There are times that the thoughts would flash across our minds that we wanted something that other people had, we coveted. And, and I remind ourselves, including me, of how today on Facebook we may, we may share something and we don't even know if it's true. Bear false witness. There are all kinds of ways that on a daily basis, regularly during the day, we are breaking the law of Moses. Therefore, we're under the curse of the law. We're, we're under the curse of death. Christ has redeemed us from that. He took everything that's wrong about me and that will be wrong about me and took it to the cross upon himself and suffered the penalty and died for me. Thus he has redeemed me and has set me free from all this. Paul says, be like I am. Be free from this thing. Back then you didn't wrong me anything. You saw the sufferings. You saw how the Jews treated me or mistreated me. And yet you didn't wrong me in a thing. You were right there with me. He continues, you know now that I first proclaimed the gospel to you in weakness of the flesh. And in your test, you did not despise my flesh, nor reject me with contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Studying the sufferings that Paul had during that time it is believed that Paul, just before he came to Galatia, Paul had contracted malaria. And in his day, there was no treatment and it affected his eyes. And he was very, very sick when they brought him into Galatia. This is what generally is believed. It's obvious, he said, I was in the weakness of the flesh. I was sick. Now, here was the test. Both in false religion and in Judaism, it was believed that a person could not be a prophet. A person could not be a representative of God if that person suffered physically. That, that's, that's not in the scriptures, but that was a test that people placed upon themselves. Paul said, when the test was made, you didn't count my sickness against me. You didn't despise my flesh. You didn't reject me with contempt. You received me. You rejoiced in the gospel. You came to Christ and you saw in my ministry even Christ Jesus. So you, you, didn't, you didn't mistreat me back then even though I was very sick then how are you blessed? Where is your blessing? You were so, you had such a sense of blessing when I brought you the, when I proclaimed to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where is it now? Where is it now? For, our, for I bear witness to you that if possible, having gouged out your eyes, you would have given them to me. Now therein is another another allusion to the great possibility that he suffered from a severe form of malaria such that it affected his eyes. As a matter of fact, in chapter six of Galatians, he writes and he says, see with what large letters 
I have written. It affected his vision. It affected him physically. And Paul said, you loved me so much. I was having so much trouble with my eyes. You would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me. If that thing was possible. But now, so I have become your enemy. Speaking truth to you. How was it truth then? And it is not truth now. Truth is truth. It's stronger than that which is false. That which is false is always changing its story. We build so much of our so-called scientific lives around the things that are placed in scientific textbooks, but have you ever noticed how these textbooks are having to change all the time? They just keep changing from one, from one year to the other, always having to think back or update or, or correct mistakes that have been made that at one time seemed to be truth, but has been proven to be false. Those things that are counterfeit and false are always changing the story. But truth never changes. Absolute truth. That's why the word of God has stood the test of time and has stood against every enemy that has come against it. Because the word of God is absolute truth. Now, Paul says, I'm your enemy speaking truth to you. They, speaking of the Judaizers, they are zealous after you, though not honorably. They're not honest in what they're doing, but to exclude you from us, they're trying to drive a wedge between you and me. So they desire that you might be zealous after them. Now it is good to be zealous in a right or in an honorable thing at all times. And not only in my being present with you, okay? We learn something here from, from the Greek word honorably that's translated honorably. They were dishonest. They were after wielding power over people and in wielding that power were after monetary gain. Even the little book of Jude speaks of that. The church has always been plagued with charlatans. One of the greatest, probably the greatest attack on Christianity as a whole and upon Christians as individuals is the attack against the pure grace of God. The doctrine of sovereign grace. That is something that the pride of human life cannot handle. You can't handle it unless you're born again. So in the pride of life, people come into the church and they have to fight this doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. No works, no behavior can save you. No behavior that is ordered by man can keep you saved. So people come into the church and they attack it and they begin to make people doubt their salvation. And people doubt their salvation. It's always a new set of rules. Well, did you do this? Have you lived this way? Did you do this? And there are always these man-made rules that you can't find in the Bible. And they cast guilt upon the believer. 
And the believer, as Paul said to the Galatians, becomes bewitched. Like they cast a spell on us or something. Here's what Paul said. To be zealous in a good thing, in an honest thing, that's okay. That's right. That's always right. And it's always right, even though I'm not present with you. Paul says, I have the same zeal for you, even when I'm not there with you and I'm not able to get money from you or extract some kind of personal glory from you, even though I'm not with you, I'm still zealous of you. And so Paul makes the contrast between himself and the Judaizers. He's telling them that in their being bewitched, the attempt by Satan is to wrest away from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ the wonderful truth of the only gospel. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. You don't have to add a work to it. You don't have to do things to get ready for it. You don't have to do things to maintain. Say you can't maintain salvation. That's the work of the great high priest that we have, namely Christ. Hebrews chapter 7. That's his job. That's not our job. So it brings us to the, to the final and most important part of this passage. My children. Now Paul... Now Paul assumes a type of motherhood. And we see it in the language here. My children, of whom I again travail until Christ shall have been formed in you. It is the language of a woman with child. The invisible, the invisible thing, the thing that's not said but that's understood, that is implied is you're making me think that I went into labor and I gave birth to a child not fully formed. My children, I again travail. I go back into labor again until the formation is complete. Until Christ is formed in you. Now he calls them his brethren. So these are, these are saved folks. But they're stopping short of all that they should be. Let me explain. The beautiful doctrine of election. It is the work of God. My salvation from before the foundation of the world is the work of God. And thus in that I rejoice and I worship and I'm thankful and I'm filled with gratitude. But so often in the doctrine of election we think of justification. We think of glorification. Paul writes, was it to the Colossians? He says, we're already raised in the heavenlies according to God. He already sees us there. 
So we think of, we think of how God has predestined justification. He's predestined glorification, but there's something, one of those, one of those is sort of prior and, and one of those is post, it's, it's after. But what about this big space in the middle where we are right now? That's called sanctification. There's justification, there's sanctification, which is where we are now, and then there's glorification. The same act of God that according to the power of God has formed you in Christ, the same act of God that from before the foundation of the world has justified you and has guaranteed your glorification, that same act of the eternal God has also built within us our sanctification. Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his work, it's um, what, verse 10? It's after that beautiful verse that says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, none of yourselves, lest anybody should boast. And then on down in verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As surely as God in eternity has assumed the responsibility for our salvation in Christ, for our being raised and glorified in Christ on some infinitely glorious day yet to come, God has also surely predetermined for us our sanctification. That's exactly what verse 10 in Ephesians 2 says, prepared beforehand, created in Christ Jesus. We're His workmanship. He works these things through us. Now, how does that work in my sanctification? Sanctification is not something that's preached that much these days because... An innate, inborn within the born again person, desire and unction is to follow the way of Christ, is to seek daily to be more like Christ. Now, we fail almost on a daily basis. And thus, God has provided for us repentance, confession. John writes, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this desire, this unction to walk in the path and in the way of Christ, we learn it in the New Testament. We study it and we do everything we can by the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient so sanctification involves obedience. Obedience involves being a disciple of Christ. Being a disciple of Christ involves studying His Word, growing in His Word. So here is the great statement. Paul says, I'll suffer the labor pains all over again until everything is formed in you that needs to be formed. Until Christ shall have been formed 
in you. When Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit protects us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit corrects us. The Holy Spirit chastises us. And finally takes us to the end of life. Sanctification. That's that great thing between justification and glorification. That's where we are now. We're living in the sanctification that God has prepared in us through Christ Jesus. And we walk therein. I am not the judge of people and I'm sure, certainly not the judge of the church. My fear, however, is that in these last days, the doctrine of sanctification has been lost in so much of the teaching and the preaching of the modern church. Listen, there is an infallible word of God that must be obeyed if we compromise that thing, then families will collapse, societies will collapse, cultures will collapse, poison and evil will grow and evil people will wax worse and worse. But if we walk the path to which we are called that is designed for us, it makes a difference in ways that we can't see. And in that sanctification, Christ is working his works in us. And may I say to you, we don't even realize it when he's doing it because it's a part of who we are in Christ. Christ is working these things through us in our sanctification. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I desire to come back to you and to be present with you and to change my tone. I'm tired of beating my fist on this table and yelling at you and fussing at you like I did in the first part of this letter. I want to come, I want to, come to you like your mother and gather you as my children so that I can see everything to be formed in your life that needs to be formed and I want to do it face to face. Because as it is right now, I am at my wit's end. I am perplexed. Why is the great apostle perplexed? Because they seem to be following a strange, another, a false gospel. There's only one gospel. Saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. I've said that a few times. You might remember that when this is over. Salvation, sovereign grace. All of thee and none of me. It's all of God in Christ. It's all of Christ. There's nothing that I can do. As Paul says to the Ephesians in an earlier verse in chapter 2, lest we should boast. Oh, up in heaven, can you hear it now? Let me tell you what I did. Man, I was a bad dude. But I stood up and brushed myself off and walked my way right to Jesus and said to him, you need to save me. Don't work that way. 
Doesn't work that way at all. We're given crowns. But when we're given those crowns, we come to acknowledge that it was Christ in us anyway, and we just throw them back at him. Cast them at his feet. Thank you for using me this way, but really, there's, there's no glory that is mine. It is all your glory. Until Christ is formed in you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to the blessed scriptures, if you will admit that you're a sinner, if you will believe in the Christ of God as the only Savior, and that God has raised him from the dead, and then in confessing your sin, you would call on him to be saved, God will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how we handle the invitation in these present days of COVID-19. If you're here today, you must understand as we all understand in Christ, we have three great needs as Christians. Number one, of course, we need to be saved. That's the first need. To be saved. To come to Christ for salvation. After we're saved, we should be obedient to the Lord in baptism. That's part of the Great Commission. It doesn't save you, but it is a wonderful, beautiful testimony. And it shows that you're saved. The second need is baptism. Your third need is church membership to be affiliated with a local body of believers so that there you can gather together in fellowship and there you can be discipled in the word of God and you can strengthen one another in the Lord. If you're here today and you have any of those needs or all three to be saved, to be baptized, to be a part of the local church, this church, then on your way out you will see that there are two rooms that are open and deacons and their wives are standing there waiting to receive you and to sit down at a table with you and to talk with you about those needs according to the scriptures. So that's our invitation. That's how we do the invitation these days. We thank you for being here and I want to pray now our benediction, okay? Father in heaven, we marvel and how you've taken care of us eternally, not just now, but in the realm of the ages of the ages and before there ever were any ages. We are so thankful and we worship and we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done. Bless the invitation that's been extended, O oh Father, and those who might have any of those needs. I pray that you'd give them the strength and calling as they exit to talk to the deacons and their wives. Now, Father, as we go about this life and this time, we pray that you'll protect us from the sickness that so many talk about, that you will keep us from harm and illness, and that you will not let anything, even that, deter us from our great commission to preach the gospel, to proclaim Christ far and wide. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.